The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. And you see Jesus operate in all of these spiritual gifts. There's nothing that you see Jesus do in the New Testament recorded or anything that he does today now in our lives that's outside of the spiritual gifts that are listed. You have the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, prophecy and faith and healing and the effecting of miracles, the distinguishing of spirits and, and tongues and interpretation. These are gifts that we're all having access to through the Holy Spirit. And these are the gifts that Jesus is walking in when we read in the gospel of him doing incredible things. I mean, he does these magnificent things that we read about, and all of those things are simply a manifestation of those spiritual gifts that we have access to in our lives. Here's a great example. When people tried to trap him, and they took a, an adulterous woman and said, the law says that we should stone her, what do we do? I mean, if that would have happened to me, I would have been like, uh, can I get back to you tomorrow? Can you give me a few minutes because I really don't know. If I answer wrong, she's going to die, and, and, and I want to make sure I get this right. But in an instant, he has a word for him. It was a word of wisdom. That was a spiritual gift, a word of wisdom. Let the one who hasn't sinned cast the first stone. Wow, that will blow your mind. And when you see things like they, the, there's needing uh, money to pay taxes, and so Jesus tells one of the disciples to go and cast a hook into the water. And the first fish that he pulls out is going to have a coin in his mouth that he can go pay the taxes with. That's pretty strange, isn't it? How did he know that? But it's a word of knowledge. And then, of course, you see people having hands laid on them, and they recover from their sickness. That's healing. And then you see other things like the multiplication of bread and food to feed masses. I mean, one little kid's lunch fed an entire crowd. That's the effecting of miracles. You see all of these things and everything that you see Jesus doing is not because he's exclusive as the Messiah. It's because he's carrying the Holy Ghost. The same Holy Spirit that can function and operate and flow in us should we surrender to God and ask for those things. So I want to talk about prophecy and prophesying because the Bible is calling us all to prophesy. Now, last week we established a couple of things, and I want us to see to it that we, we pick up where we left off. We used this passage of Scripture last week, and I want to give it to you again. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write a few things down. Now, you know we encourage note-taking. It helps us stay engaged. It helps us recall the things that we're looking at together. And it also gives you an opportunity to revisit these things in your own time and God to speak personally and individually into your lives. He just loves us so much. He's doing things in each one of us. Now, we used this passage of Scripture last week, and I want to give it to you before we step into this week's message. Revelation chapter uh, 19, verse 10. Revelation 19, verse 10. Now, it's going to say this, and this is what we want to catch. It talks about the testimony of Jesus Christ, and it reveals what that is. And it just reads like this if you were to look it up. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And we established that last week, and we talked about what prophecy is by definition. Just by definition. By definition, to prophesy means to reveal the will or the message of God. 
Now, I want you to think about Jesus and all that, that he accomplished and all that he did. I mean, as he is born into this world and he's raised up, it's time for him to begin to minister and he's baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and remains upon him and then he does what? He begins to reveal the will or the message of God. In fact, he said himself as he went and stood before the congregation and opened up to the book of Isaiah and began to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, because God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to open the eyes of the blind. He's anointed me to bring relief to the oppressed and freedom to the captive. He's anointed me to proclaim the favor of God. He began to reveal the will and reveal the message of God. And everywhere he went, the word says that he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was simply revealing the will and revealing the message of God. The testimony of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now we're all called to prophesy for you and for me. Our lives are meant to be no different. Everywhere we go, in everything that we deal with, in everything that we deal in, in everyone that we engage, we have an opportunity to be just like Jesus and reveal the will or the message of God. To live a lifestyle of prophesying. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find as we move forward in the Word today. These are things that I like to do as we begin to get into the Word. Things that you can anticipate and look forward to. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write them down. I mean, how many of you have been in a church service before where people were talking to you and preaching about all the things that Jesus can do? I mean, hands should probably fly up, okay? So I want you to listen closely and don't be shocked, okay? I'm kind of preparing you. This could shock the ears a little bit, so just sit tight. You might want to hold your neighbor's hand and just, you know, what's he about to say? One of the things we're going to find today is what Jesus can't do. What Jesus cannot do. A second thing that we're going to find as we get into the Word is what it takes to be a child of God. What it takes to be a child of God. And then a third thing that we're going to find is the key to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The key to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something, as as a Christian, as a believer who has grown up, I'm not a Christian because my parents were Christians. My parents were Christians, by the way. But as a young man, I was so filled with, with hate and anger and hurt and disappointment that I literally hated my life. I was destroying myself. My weapon of choice was alcohol. I was a drunk and alcoholic for years and slowly destroying myself. And it was only experiencing the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, setting me free from all of that, that I began to realize that the things that I had had before my eyes all of my youth in church and in the Scripture were actually real. That's why I'm a Christian. And I think it's important that that last one, you know, the key to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's important that we catch that because what I know from my own life is you can spend a good deal of your life, possibly your entire life, in church and around Christians and never know the power of God and never have a faith that is founded upon God's authority and power active and effective in your life. And it's that and only that that transformed me from a churchgoer who was miserable to a born-again, empowered 
spirit-filled, victorious Christian. We need to know how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll find that today. So remember, we're going to talk about prophesying, revealing the will and the message of God. And I told you we're going to find out what Jesus can't do. Let's start with that. We'll just get that out of the way. What Jesus can't do. If you're taking notes here, I want you to write down this uh, scripture for your notes. John chapter 5, verse 30. The Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 30. What Jesus can't do. John chapter 5, verse 30, it reads like this. I can do nothing on my own initiative. Did you catch that? I can't do it. I can't do anything on my own initiative. Now, what Jesus is saying here, it's not that he doesn't have the option to do things on his own initiative. He's just saying it won't be effective. It won't be powerful. You won't see the same miracle. You won't see the same kingdom effect. If I do it on my own initiative, I can't do anything. But if I do things according to the will of God, you're going to see a whole nother result. In fact, let me read the entire passage to you. I can do nothing on my own initiative. But as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of God who sent me. You know, that's a, a passage of Scripture that you can rightly read over your, your own life. I can say that same thing about my life. I can't do anything on my own initiative. But as I hear, I judge, and my judgment will be just because I'm not seeking my own will, but the will of God who sent me. I can make that the standard for how I deal with things in my marriage. I can make that the standard for how I deal with things with my children. I can make that the standard for how I deal with things in my business. I can make that the standard for how I deal with things in ministry. I can't do it on my own initiative. I need to find out what God's will is and then do that. And John 8 verse 28 it reads similar. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father taught me. So do you see we have two things here in John 5 and in John 8. The first is the will of God. And then the second is the words of God. And remember to prophesy is to reveal the will or the message of God. And Jesus is saying, my entire life, my entire ministry is not about doing what I want to do or saying what I want to say, but my life is devoted to revealing to this world God's will and God's message. Are you seeing now why it can rightly be written that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? If prophesying is revealing the will and the message of God, how can we not see that as Jesus is saying, I don't do things on my own, but I hear his will and do it, and I hear his words and speak it, we ought to connect those dots. In John chapter 12, verse 49, it reads like this, I didn't speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me, he gives me the words to speak. He says what to say. And what to speak. John 14, verse 10. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative. But the Father who is abiding in me does his works. That's interesting how he ends that passage. But the Father who is abiding in me does his works. I want to talk about those works. Because if we come to a place where we see those things as exclusive to Jesus, then we're going to cut off the call to live a lifestyle of prophesying from our own lives. 
Those works that Jesus is talking about aren't meant to be exclusive to him. In fact, he said they're going to be the same things that we do. I'll give you a passage of scripture. John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And even greater works than these will he do. And then he goes on to say why. He says because. Can you say because? Yeah, that's an important thing for us to notice. Because. Because I go to the Father. Now, if you're not familiar with Scripture, that can sound a bit like a riddle. I mean, why would that cause this power and this authority to be active in my life? If he goes to the Father, why would that make me able to do the same things that he's doing? To find the answer to that, you have to continue reading. And you get to John chapter 16 in a verse like verse 7. And you hear things like Jesus talking about going to the Father. And he says this, it's to your advantage that I go to the Father. It's to your advantage because if I don't go to the Father, the Helper won't come. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But he says, if I do go to the Father, then I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. That same Holy Spirit that is functioning and operating in Jesus. Those same giftings that are flowing from His ministry and His words, producing the miracles that are turning the world upside down. That same Helper, He'll send to you. I want to speak about what this helper does. John chapter 16, I want to give you a couple of verses. I'd like for you to write them down in your notes. Verses 13 through 15. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives. But when He, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. Does that sound familiar? But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. And he will glorify me and he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that my Father has, has are mine. And therefore I say he takes of mine and discloses it to you. The Holy Spirit upon our lives is our ability to function and operate in the power and authority of God, to cease operating in our initiative and begin operating in the initiative of the Father, to be just like Jesus, to say, I don't do things on my own initiative. I don't do what I want to do, but I do what God wants to do. I don't say what I want to say, but I say what I hear God saying. But to understand all of these passages, I think it's important that we turn to the dictionary to understand one word, and it's initiative. Initiative. I mean, if I read a, a passage of Scripture, which we've read about eight there, that have the word initiative in it, if we don't understand that word, we're going to miss out on what all of this is saying, all of the, the word is bearing witness to, all that God is showing us and teaching us. So what is initiative? If Jesus doesn't do anything on his own initiative, but rather he's operating on the Father's initiative, and if now by the Holy Spirit we're not to do things on our own initiative, but by the Father's initiative, what the heck is initiative? If you turn to the dictionary, here's what you'll get. Initiative. Energy or ability displayed in taking action. 
Energy or ability displayed in taking action. Well, now that makes some bells go off in my head. That makes perfect sense to me. That's why Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if I'm operating on my energy, if I'm operating on my ability to take action with this group of sick people here, you're not going to get much of a show. But if I'm operating on his energy and I'm operating on his ability to take action in this situation, well, step back, Jack, and pop your popcorn because it's going to be awesome. Seriously. I want to read that definition of initiative again because I want us to catch it. Energy or ability displayed in taking action. Now, every single person in this room has, has elements and, and trials and, and, and things that are requiring their effort, things that are requiring your action. My marriage requires my action. My children require my action. Business requires my action. Ministry requires my action. The question is, whose ability, whose energy are they getting? Is it mine or is it God's? And if I follow in the steps of Jesus, I realize if I give them mine, they're not going to get much, if anything at all. But if I can realize and come to the place where I cannot do what I want to do, but I can pursue and do what God wants to do, if I can be like Jesus and reveal to them the will or the message of God, we could get a whole other result. And all of the things that you are required to take action in, the things that require your ability or your energy, we need to pause and ask, am I doing this my way? Or am I doing this God's way? And all of a sudden, we become a people who could be described as intentional. Not just living life casual, accidentally bumping into good things every now and then, but pursuing what God wants in every situation and trusting and believing for His results to come. And this has a wonderful effect when we want to follow after God, when we want to, to do the things that He wants, when we put His will in front of of our own. When we put God's will in front of our own, we are following after Him. And following after Him has an amazing and profound result. I want to give you a passage of Scripture for your notes. I told you what it, we were going to find out what it takes to be a child of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. What it takes to be a child of God. Romans 8, verse 14. For all of those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For all of those who are putting God's ways in front of their own ways, that's the only way that God can be the leader in your life. He has to be in front of you. If He's beside you, He's not leading you. If He's behind you, He's not leading you. The only way He can lead is if He's in front. He comes first. My initiative comes second. His initiative comes first. My ability and my energy are put on the back burner in the pursuit of His ability and His energy concerning a situation or a circumstance. My desire is not to reveal my will or my message, but to reveal His will and His message. And that's the real trick. Because the things in this world are constantly provoking you to reveal your will in your message. By definition, that would be temptation. And that's actually what I want to talk about today. Temptation. I had a really wild week this week. 
I can't remember a week where I suffered more temptation than I suffered this week. It was really strange to me. Temptation relationally and and in fellowship with others to just misbehave. Uh, Temptation in my mind to transgress. It was a bizarre week filled with those things. Some were handled with great success, some not so much. And in examining that presence, that temptation in my life, I, I began to examine the Scripture. Because there's something that we ought to consider. I mean, temptation's a real thing. It's, it's out there. I mean, let me ask this. How many of you have ever been tempted? I mean, the hands go up. How many of you have been tempted recently? Yeah. There's something about temptation that I want us to examine today because I know one thing. I mean, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that the the blood of Jesus is is conquered all corruption in my, my, my spirit, that I'm alive in Him. And so I have to ask myself a question. What's the deal with temptation? I mean, why is it still an issue in my life and in like three or four of you who were bold enough to raise your hands? I mean, why? If I'm forgiven, if my salvation is, is, is bought with the blood of Jesus and my name is established in the Lamb's book of life, then doesn't it seem like Satan and every demonic thing on earth would be wasting its time tempting me? So why in the world does temptation still exist in my life and in your life? Why does it exist in the church? What's the deal with temptation? I mean, does the devil think that he's going to cause me to fail and then God's going to not like me anymore? Or that I'm going to to fail and then all of a sudden God's going to say, well, you had your chance, kid. It just didn't work out. Maybe next time. I mean, those things aren't true, so why? Why is he wanting to tempt me? Why in the world is he wanting to tempt you? Why is there temptation that exists? I want to, to paraphrase. I want to tell you a story, but it's more than a story. It's history. It happened. And it's in the Bible. You can read it in the Bible, but you can read about it in other books as well. There's a guy in the Scripture. His name is is not popular, but his, his name is used in the Scripture over 60 times. That's a lot. I mean, if you look up like how many times the word Paul is used in the Scripture, it's just like twice that. The name John is used in the, it's just like twice that. So here's this guy who didn't write any books in the Bible, who didn't walk with Jesus for years, but yet his impact in the Scripture is vast. His name is used 60 times, and he spreads from the Old Testament into the New Testament. I mean, the prophets talk about him in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, uh, those who are, are, are releasing the gospel into the early church are talking about this guy. And then Jesus talks about this guy in Revelation. I mean, this guy kind of made his mark. I want to talk about him for a moment. And what he did. And by the way, he's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. I mean, that's up to God to decide, but when you read in here, you're going to see he did some things that were not very ethical. But I want you to to take down some notes, and you can write down some things, and I want you to to read it in your own time, and I kind of just want to tell the story. Are you okay with that? So the whole story kind of spans across a few chapters in the book of Numbers. 
And then, you know, like I mentioned before, throughout the New Testament, his name is speckled in there as, as the writers of the New Testament, these apostles who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring the Scripture into our lives, were warning us about this guy's ways and the effects of his works. In the book of Numbers, it, it says that the people of Israel had come out of Egypt. Now, you've got to just stop there for a second and, and find out what does that mean, right? I mean, if you're just reading it as a story, then they're a character and a story. But the Bible tells us that all of these things are a type and a shadow. That means this represents your life in some way. Well, coming out of Egypt is, is coming out of sin. I mean, God led me out of sin. I used to be a drunk, an angry man, a violent man, a hateful man, a sorrowful man. I mean, I was miserable. And God led me out of those things into the promises of his kingdom. That's the same as these who were in slavery and in bondage and God led them out of Egypt and is leading them into his promises. This is describing my life and your life. Now as the people of Israel are being led out of captivity, led out of bondage, led out of slavery, and led into the promises of God, there are some deep concerns with those who live in those general vicinities. And a king, the king of Moab, is looking and he's seeing the people of Israel moving and he's hearing of their conquest and their victory that God is with them and they cannot be stopped and he is concerned because he sees that they're going to overthrow him. They're going to consume him. He's not going to have any place left when God has his way. And so this king, he does something. He knows of a man. This man is named Balaam. This man is, is a prophet. He's a, a diviner. But don't think in a, in a righteous and holy way because obviously this man is for hire and God has some real uh, frustrations with that kind of behavior. So the king of Moab, he, he sends for Balaam. He sends a crew and it says they carry with them the fee for divinity, right? That's like, you know, $9.99 a minute for the psychic hotline. Now, come on, that's kind of funny. So he sends these people with the fee for divinity, and they go to Balaam, and they say, uh, you know, Balaam, Balaam, hey, uh, the king of Moab has a little problem, and, you know, we got your check, we want you to come with us, and we want you to curse these people. Now, these people is, is the Israelites. Now, remember, as a type and shadow, this represents us. These people who are coming out of slavery, entering into the promises, hey, we need you to come and curse these people. Your check, it's good. We checked. It's going to clear. won't bounce. Why don't you come with us? You know, it won't take you but a couple of days. You put your curse on them. Uh, we'll wipe them out. It'll be good. And Balaam says, listen, uh, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. God's with them. And what God has blessed, I, I can't curse. So keep your check and, and go back home. Tell your king, I'm not, I'm not your guy. And so the guys go back home and they tell the king, they say, hey, the people of Israel, uh, you know, they're, they're getting rowdy out there. They're spreading and we're concerned and Balaam won't come. He says God blessed them and there's nothing he can do to curse them. So the king says, hey, I'm going to send a bigger entourage. I mean, listen, forget about the donkeys. Let's roll out the chariots. And, and, and let's not just send a few guys with his normal fee, but let's go break the bank on this thing. And he sends this huge entourage, and they go, and they, Balaam! You know, it's not just your, your, your lackeys. Hey, Balaam, got your check. But these guys are the formal. This is serious business now. 
These are political, you know, men, dignified and, and, and diplomatic. And they stand in all of their, their outfits and uniforms. And they say, we've come again to hire you to curse these people. And we've brought silver and gold in abundance. And Balaam says, listen, if your king gave me his entire house filled with silver and gold, I still couldn't do it. You guys aren't getting it. It's not that I don't want to, it's that I can't. And if I tell you I can, and then I go, that's going to be problematic. Uh, I can't curse them because God's blessed them. So, so it's just not going to work out. But then something happens here. Instead of Balaam saying, go home, he says, why don't you guys spend the night? I'm going to see if I can work something out with God. You guys spend the night here, and I'm going to go see what I can find out. And so they spend the night, and he goes into his chambers or wherever, and he's, he's talking to God. Now, we're talking about, like, like, you know, Yahweh. We're talking about our God. Our, I mean, this is the same guy. He's talking to him, and God's talking to Balaam. And God tells Balaam, hey, who are these people that are with you? Now, that should be a, a, a red flag right there that we need to pump the brakes. God doesn't need to know who they are. He knows exactly who they are. He's asking Balaam this to search out Balaam's heart for Balaam to confess. Are these people that are for your will or are these people who are against your will? He's asking Balaam this question not for his own information that's needed because he knows. But to see how Balaam views this situation. Who are these people? Well, Balaam tells him. And God says, well, why don't you go with them? And so the next morning, Balaam saddles up his donkey. And I got to say, it says that he did it in the morning, right? Which, which meant like kind of first thing, rooster crows, sun's up, he's saddling his donkey. That tells me something. Uh, Balaam's kind of itching to go. The money's good on this run. I mean, this is a good gig. This might be my last one, and we can call it quits after this, and I can get that little place over there in the desert where I don't have my neighbor so close to me. This is going to be the one that's going to put me out of business. Saddle up. Let's ride. And he tells everyone, listen, God said I can go with you, but I can't say anything except what he says. And I say, that's, that's fair enough, just go. The king wants you, let's go. So he gets on his donkey and he goes. Now, the story gets amazing from here. I mean, amazing. He's riding and his donkey sees something. His donkey sees the angel of the Lord. Okay, I want you to say the angel of the Lord. Okay, not, not an angel. But the angel of the Lord. So, I mean, if you're asking me my opinion, and I'm going to give it as an opinion. I'm not telling you that this is fact. He saw Jesus, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. I mean, you can take that for however you want. And if I'm wrong, I'm just wrong. And one day Jesus will say, hey, you were wrong about that. And I'll say, what? <laughs> but the angel of the Lord is standing there with his sword drawn. And the donkey is walking along and the donkey can see this. But the mighty man of God, Balaam, can't see it. The diviner, the prophet, he can't see it. But the donkey can see it. And the donkey that's just moving along looks up. There's the angel of the Lord, the sword drawn. So he hooks a right. And he goes off in a field. And, and Balaam takes his rod and he beats the donkey and he gets back on. And the donkey's moving again. And he's going through a, a, a corridor or a hallway where there's a wall on each side and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord again standing with sword drawn 
And so the donkey moves up against the wall and it crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. And I mean, I'm picturing this guy who's supposed to be, you know, pious, you know, cussing up a storm. And he gets off the donkey and he beats the donkey again. I mean, this guy, is, his, his, his PETA membership is revoked. So he gets back on the donkey again, and, and he's riding, and he comes to a tight place. I mean, there's no squeezing around the angel of the Lord here. The angel of the Lord's standing there, and this diviner can't see, but the donkey still sees. And the word says that the donkey just decides, okay, I'm, I'm done with this, and he just lays down. And Balaam, being this spiritual man, you know, jumps off and beats his donkey again. And then God opens the mouth of the donkey, right? And you thought Shrek was original. (laughs) Sorry. Opens the mouth of the donkey and the donkey speaks. It says, why are you beating me? And Balaam, this is what's crazy, Balaam talks back. I mean, think about that for a second. That's funny, isn't it? He talks back and he's like, well, you know, if I had a sword, I wouldn't have beaten you. I would have just killed you. See, this donkey are having this spat. And the donkey says, listen, I've been your donkey for a long time, man. We've ridden all over the place. Have I ever done anything like that before? And Balaam says, no, no. And then God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel of the Lord standing with sword drawn and he kind of freaks out. He falls to his face and he says, oh my God. And then if you, if you ever wondered if Jesus is a lover of animals, you can read what he says about you know, Balaam beating his donkey. This angel of the Lord just specifically says these things to Balaam. He says, hey, listen, your donkey saved your life. Your donkey could see me and was moving off to the side or else I would have killed you. But let me tell you something, I would have spared your donkey. Isn't that funny that the angel of the Lord said that? Your donkey has more sense than you, more reverence than you. And Balaam stood there and said, listen, if you want me to go back, I'll go back. And and the angel of the Lord said, no, go, but listen and take it seriously. Don't say anything that I don't say. Don't say anything that God doesn't say. Remember, don't speak on your initiative, but only speak on the initiative of God. Don't say your words, but say the words of God. Don't reveal your will or your message, but go and reveal God's will and God's message. Make sure you go and prophesy. And so Balaam finally shows up, you know, and it takes some time to beat a donkey, so he's late. And when he gets there, the king says, Where have you been? Don't you know I sent for you and this is urgent? And Balaam says, listen, I'm here, okay? I'm I'm here. So tell me what you need. And he goes over and he says, the people of God are moving. They're unstoppable. Now this is describing us. Right now, here and now, you're the people of God and, and anointed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're grafted in to Israel. We have all of these things going for us. He says, listen, they are unstoppable and we've got to do something about it or else we're going to lose everything. So I told you I'd pay you. Let's go and you can get your curse on and then we can just clear up this whole mess. So they go to a place and they set up altars and they make sacrifices. And you've got to understand something. Balaam is making sacrifices to Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the Hebrews, I should say. He's making these sacrifices, calling upon the name of the Lord and God is speaking to him. 
And God goes on to speak something incredible. He speaks these words of blessing over Israel. You'll see them in there. And when you read it in your own time, I want you to read these blessings. They're incredible. And because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life, these blessings apply to you. But the blessing is so incredible. Here's how how Balaam ends that first blessing. And remember, he's revealing the will and the message of God, not his own. And it's so incredible and so uh, uh, prosperous that it ends with this. I mean, who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Basically, what Balaam's coming back and saying is nobody's got it better than these guys. You guys wish you could be like them. If only you could die their death and if only you could live their life. If only you could be like them. It's this most incredible blessing saying that nobody else on earth has what these people have. That's you. That's me, thanks to Jesus. And so the king is a little ticked. He's like, hey, hey, I wanted you to curse them. And you go and you say this, that's a pretty awesome blessing. Why couldn't you say that to me? You said it to them, that's a problem. So so let's try it again, okay? Let's go to a different place. And and you can try it again. And they try it a second time. And the second time, it's blessing again. Read that one. It's got some awesome stuff in it too. The king is upset. Oh, you keep blessing them. I'm hiring you to curse them. Let's go to another spot. But this time, if you can't curse them, just keep your mouth shut. I want you to quit blessing them, please. They go to a third spot. They set up their altars and go through all of their their rituals and and sacrifice. And Balaam goes to receive the word of the Lord. And once again, it's blessing. It's just nonstop, wall-to-wall blessing. And Balaam goes back to the king and he reveals the word to the king. And the king, it says that he claps his hands. You know, and I doubt it's like, (laughs) I have a feeling that it is is just in anger. He's, I need you to curse them, not bless them. And Balaam says, listen, I can't, I can't. I can't curse what God's blessed. But now we need to turn outside of this narrative. Because these are in Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24. And then something happens in Numbers 25 that you won't find out about until you read the book of Revelation chapter 2. In verse 25, you see the people of Israel who are unstoppable, an amazing force on the earth, the power of God leading them, guiding them, bringing victory into everything. You see them perishing. You see them suffering. You see them dying. Oh, what a difference a chapter can make. And if you look at verses in two other passages of Scripture, Deuteronomy 23, verse 5, and Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, you'll find out what happened between chapter 24 and 25. Moses is talking in Deuteronomy and he speaks of something that's going on. He says this, he says, the Lord your God wasn't even willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned a curse into a blessing because of the Lord. He loves you. So we know that, that God is not going to change his mind concerning Balaam's situation. Between verses 24 and 25, God hasn't changed. 
So that only leaves one people group who could change. If God didn't change, then it must be the people of Israel. It must be the people of God. In our lives, when we see a change from chapter 24 to chapter 25, when we see a change from being an unstoppable force on the earth to seeing suffering and loss and destruction, when we see a change, we've got to come into that same mindset. Obviously, God didn't change. What changed here? And what do we need to do to get back to where we were? Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about Balaam. This guy that was a hired gun to curse. And he reveals what happened between 24 and 25. He says, uh, Balaam taught Balak, that's the king of Moab, he taught him how to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. He taught him how to get people to, to compromise and how to get people to fail in their faith. He taught them how to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and commit immorality. Moses talks about that in Numbers 31, verse 16. But now you can see something. In Numbers 25, where all of this suffering has happened, 24,000 people die. That's a lot of people. 24,000 people perish. They lose their life because of one thing. Compromise. Balaam, let me just paraphrase this, was hired to curse and he couldn't curse. The king kept saying, curse him, and he would bless him. Curse him, and he would bless him. Curse him, and he would bless him. And finally, Balaam, at some point, according to what Jesus says in Revelations, goes to the king and says, hey, listen, king, it, you're, you're spinning your wheels here, bud. You can hire me all day long to curse him, but it's not going to work because God's blessed him. But let me tell you something, uh, I got a plan. Send in Moabite women. Their men will go for them. Their men will, will chase after them. And when their men chase after them, they'll go to church with them over there at the first temple of Baal. And they'll start worshiping those false gods. Listen, just, just, just create an opportunity for compromise. They'll compromise, and then you won't even have to curse them. They'll just suffer. And all day long, you can sit and watch them fall one by one. Remember, this is a type and a shadow for our lives. We are the unstoppable force of God. Why in the world is temptation still knocking at my door? Because temptation wants me to compromise. It wants you to compromise. Because right now, every force in hell cannot curse what God has blessed. But if we'll compromise, if we'll begin to indulge in evil and immorality, if we'll open the door even just a little tiny bit, all of a sudden, that uncursable status no longer remains. Compromise is a nasty business. It's the reason why Balaam's name is used throughout the Scripture. It is, a, it is a nasty business that has existed from the very time God delivered people out of bondage and into His promises, and that applies to every single Christian in the room and worldwide. God's called us out of bondage and leading us into promises, and the biggest threat to our success and victory is our own choice and decision to either do things God's way or compromise and do things our way. So how do we defeat temptation? I want to move into a, a, an element of defeating temptation here. I mean, temptation is coming after us. 
trying to get us to, to compromise. Because if we are void of compromise, if we function and operate in the way that God's called us to, we are an unstoppable force. But that temptation and that attempt to bring compromise into our lives, into our households, into our marriage, into our families, into our businesses, that attempt is to open the door for cursing and destruction and all of these evil things to prevail. So how do we defeat temptation? I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus is talking concerning temptation and, and, and defeating it. And He's teaching people how to pray as He's revealing this truth. He says something here. Now, it's known as the Lord's Prayer, and, and you know, oftentimes it's repeated and done in a very repetitive fashion. It was never intended to be repeated like that. In fact, the, the passage of Scripture before Jesus gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, He says, hey, don't pray with mindless repetition. Isn't it funny that we read that and then we take the prayer He prays after that and we make it the most mindless repeated prayer on earth today? But what He was doing was He was showing us elements that are meant to be included in our prayer life. Like gratitude and thanksgiving. Acknowledging God and His sovereignty. And then the desire to, to be forgiven and the desire to forgive. He's revealing to us elements that need to exist in our prayer life and this is one of them in Matthew six thirteen. It says, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. I mean, does that sound familiar to you? It sounds very familiar to me. In fact, a little too familiar. When I say too familiar, I mean it's almost like, you know, when you were a kid and you learned your alphabet, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F. You couldn't read. You just had a cadence memorized, right? If I held up a B and said, what letter is this? You, you didn't know. You just knew the song. Well, for us, this can become a cadence. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We don't think about it. We just know how to quote it. And nobody talks like that anymore, right? Lead us not into temptation. I don't go home and say, Ashley, cook me not spaghetti. But deliver me a steak. <laughs> so you just think about it in the way that, that it's, it's said in your own life, your normal life, right? I mean, lead us not into temptation. This prayer, Jesus is praying and he he's, makes a request. Father, lead us away from temptation. Get us out of temptation. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation makes it sound like there's an option for God to lead you into temptation. But this is a prayer saying, Father, I want, as I'm teaching these people how to pray, I want to incorporate the elements that they need to include in their prayer, and one of them is guidance from you to escape temptation. As we pray, whether we're tempted or not, and sometimes we reserve it for that last minute when temptation has already taken root in our mind or in our heart, we're like, oh God, please, I'm so tempted, please bail me out of this. But it should be in our daily lives before temptation ever even creeps in the door. Father, empower me to overcome temptation. I want to include that in my prayer life. I want it included in our prayer lives as a congregation. Father, empower me to overcome temptation. Lead me out of it. 
Jesus is talking about defeating temptation in Matthew 26, verse 41. You can see this also in Mark 14, 38, and in Luke 22, 40, and in Luke 22, 46. It's all basically the same thing. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Now, that passage of Scripture became a bit of a bondage for me. And I'll tell you why. And I mean, it's a personal thing. So if it doesn't make sense to you, just say, well, that was kind of his thing and don't worry about it. But if somebody teaches me to to keep praying so that I won't fall into temptation, it sets up an idea of an action that needs to be performed. But to me, I I need more instruction, right? Right? I mean, if I'm tempted and I know keep praying uh, so that I don't enter into into, temptation, I mean, temptation's coming and I know keep praying, so what do I do? Do I start praying, you know, for for, uh, the, the president of Turkey? I mean, what do I pray for? Just keep praying isn't enough for me, but I need to understand that Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Father, lead me out of this. Our prayer in order to escape temptation is meant to seek God's will in what to do. God, what do I do? Remember, not my initiative, but your initiative. Not my way, but your way. Not my uh, will or my message, but your will or your message. What can I do to this situation? How can my life be a lifestyle of prophesying in this situation right here and right now where I'm revealing your will and your message to this temptation? That's how we should pray. And you need to know this. I want to give you a couple passages of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. So if you write that down, let that imply many things. Are you ready? If the Lord knows how to rescue from temptation, what that means is your neighbor doesn't know, Facebook doesn't know, Instagram doesn't know. The Lord knows. How to escape from temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 reads like this. No temptation has ever overtaken you, but which is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to withstand. But with every temptation, He will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Isn't that cool? So then here is our problem. If that is a truth, which it is a truth, then the question is, are we finding out what his plan is in that situation? If all of a sudden I'm hating my life and I'm tempted to end my days, am I finding out what God's plan is in that situation? If I'm tempted to go astray and and think immoral thoughts or function or behave in adulterous ways, am I desiring my own desires there or am I seeking what's God's plan in order to escape that temptation remember what that passage said in 1 Corinthians with the temptation God will provide a way of escape the question is am I asking him to show me what way that is what is the way of escape And I want to tell you, this is nothing new. I mean, in all of this, I hope that you hear a common theme as we begin to close, that all of these things are because God has made our lives, thanks to the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, He's made your life just like Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy revealing the will or the message of God. He's made my life and your life just like 
Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus and temptation for just a second. Luke chapter 4. You'll find the same thing, I believe, in Matthew chapter 4. But Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 and 2, you see Jesus. And you see the table being set for Him to be tempted. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. I want you to say, full of the Holy Spirit. That's very important. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led through the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So we have Jesus being tempted by the devil. Now we have ringside seats to see how Jesus handles temptation. And these temptations are coming to Jesus from Satan himself. Now there's something that's very important that I think we should acknowledge before we go any further. And it's that Jesus is by himself, right? He's by himself in the wilderness, correct? I mean, just him and the devil, right? Jesus is there in the wilderness and he's by himself. But yet two people that he was close to wrote about this. You know what that means? He talked about it. Jesus wasn't embarrassed to talk about the temptations that existed in his life. He talked about it. We need to not be embarrassed to talk about the temptations that exist in our life. There's too much at stake. If we try to just keep it quiet, what will they think of me if they know that I thought a dirty thought this week? Then get ready to have a whole lot of dirty thoughts coming your way. We've got to be just like Jesus and be willing to talk about these things. This happened in private, but he told it to people, and then he told them to write it down. Hey, write it down and publish it. Publish it. We'll put it in every hotel. You know, we'll print it and we'll put it in the drawers. It'll be great. How funny is that? We get all embarrassed about that. We don't want to talk about that. I want you to think I'm perfect. Jeez. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. And you see how he responds to temptation. And it's the same way that we're supposed to. This is a perfect example for you and for me. Every time the devil tempts him, Jesus quotes scripture to the devil. Now, as a younger man, I just thought that, well, you beat temptation with the Word of God. But now, based on what we're seeing in the Word today, I understand something a little differently. You beat temptation by prophesying. I'm going to beat every temptation by revealing to you, Satan, what the will or the message of God is on that matter. I'm going to reveal to you what God says about that. And when we're faced with temptation, we're called to do the same thing. I'm going to reveal to this temptation what the will or the message of God is. And if you can't think of anything, then just stick with this one. The wages of sin is death. In Luke 4.13, it reads like this. It said, when the devil had finished every temptation... Can you just say every temptation? Every temptation. He left. He left and he waited for an opportune time. You know, my entire life, based on what I read right there, will never be free from temptation. That God has equipped me through his word and his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to prophesy my way to victory through every single one of them. To reveal to temptation the will or the message of God and to walk in the same victory that we see Jesus walk in 
there. And then something incredible happens. Do you remember when we first started reading there in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Right? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went and endured these temptations. Let me tell you something about my life. I became a Christian, and then I experienced baptism in the Holy Spirit, which was awesome. I, I was full of the Holy Spirit. But now I'm in a place where I'm wanting to see something different, and I'm seeing how. I'm a Christian. I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and now I want to see something. I told you we're going to find the key to walking in the power of God. Jesus goes into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, and by prophesying, by revealing the Word of God and the message of God to temptation, He overcomes temptation, and He comes out of the wilderness. Look at verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee, Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes into temptation full of the Holy Spirit. And after overcoming temptation, he comes out of it in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's then where you see his ministry begin to affect other people. I'm tired of my Christianity and my baptism in the Holy Spirit being for me. I'm ready for it to be for other people. I'm ready for it to be for other people. To walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. To see the the power of God released through words and actions. And the things that God has promised to follow those who are walking in His ways to follow after my life. And I believe that the key to that is laid out right there. Are we willing to compromise? Or are we given to prophesy? When we're faced with temptation, are we willing to compromise? Or are we devoted to a lifestyle just like Jesus of not speaking or acting on our own initiative, but revealing the will and the message of God? And I think that does something in the believer's life. I think that it positions us to walk in the power of God, and I want that for each one of us. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.